right, welcome back everybody to our banquet for the City of Oregon Convention. Speaker comes to talk to us about her experiences and know how she got involved in the APP and all that fun stuff. So here you go, Connie. Thank you. Connie, before you start, let me put a laptop in front of you. What? Where's Connie? Right I want to put this in front of you so Zoom can make you up off. Here, I'll let you put it wherever's good for you. Perfect. Thank you. I'll talk and see if they pick you up. They'll pick her up just fine. Yeah, it's higher. fine now. Okay. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. So thank you, everyone, for inviting me. I'm very honored to be here, and I have really enjoyed getting to know a lot of you. So um, this has been great. You know, when Carrie asked me to tell my story and share some stuff, I'm like, oh, so how much time do I have, and um, where do I start? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, right. So what parts to leave out, as someone said. So I've I've had quite the journey, and I wrote some notes. So I want to read some stuff. Um, but I want to talk just from my heart on other stuff. So I want to start about my eye condition. I have a very rare eye condition called aniridia. Um, and I want to read about it because there's not very many, there's only like a hundred thousand of us in the whole U S. Um, so I'm going to have Carrie hold the mic for me for a little bit while I read some information about it. Okay. All right. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I was born with aniridia, which is hereditary, but no one in my family has come back for years. Um let me go on my paper because I don't want to have feedback. Let's zoom. Um so We've gotten back four generations and no one has it. So it is bilateral. Um, so aniridia is, it means the absence of the iris or the color portion of the eye. Aniridia undoubtedly is the most conspicuous developmental abnormally that affects the eye is a rare disorder that occurs once in every 100,000 births. It affects. I'm going to find Dr. Wilson. Okay. 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 Most individuals have a stump of the iris. I have none. The condition is bilateral. I also have no pupil, which is even more rare. The condition is supposed to be hereditary, as I said, but we have traced it, and like I said, no one has it. So my parents were really. I mean, I was I was born. They knew right away that something was wrong as soon as I was in the hospital. Um, I received because of that. I cannot filter any lights, and 
I received my first pair of sunglasses when I had my baptism, which was like six weeks old. Um, so my folks were always very supportive of that. And um, I had the same eye doctor, Dr. Seaman, until I was 19. And my uncle happened to work for him. And my condition was always really pretty stable. I had glasses with correction. I had cataracts when I was little. Um, and my folks always were very open and honest with me. They told me that I had an eye condition. Um, I had pretty good sight when I was younger. I mean, I could read small print. It was hard, but I could do it. I could never read a chalkboard. Um, so school was always difficult. And to age me, you know, that was way back in the early 70s. So, um, you know, my parents really were advocates, strong advocates. Um, and that really was embedded in me. I think that if my parents wouldn't have been such a strong advocate for myself, I, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Um, they told me when I was 11 that I may wake up tomorrow blind or I may never go blind. There's no rhyme or reason. My vision can change from hour to hour, day to day. Um, it was always very normal, very constant. Um, and my parents, this is how dedicated they were. You know, they we have a school for the blind and visually impaired in Aberdeen. So I grew up in wrote in South Dakota, which is in the northern northeast corner of um, South Dakota. So it's basically 30 miles from North Dakota. In school, the blind, visually impaired, was only 20 miles away in Aberdeen, which is the third largest city in South Dakota. And they never forced me to choose what I wanted to do. They always encouraged me and supported me for whatever I wanted. So I would go to school, you know, and my mom, my folks would, you know, get my books, you know, ahead, a year ahead, you know, they would work on it. I would visit the school up in Aberdeen. And when I was a freshman or going to be a freshman, I decided on my own and visiting with my parents that I wanted extra training, knowing that I could go blind. because. One thing they told me when I was in sixth grade was you need to stand up for yourself because if you don't stand up for yourself, because I used to get bullied all the time, no one else is going to stand up for you. And you need to help be able to help stand up for others who can't stand up for others. And I will never forget that advice. That was something when you were 12 years old, 11 and 12 years old, that sticks with you. So I chose to go to the School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. But I also wanted to grow to Groton. So my mom was so dedicated that she drove me every day for 20 miles. I would attend Groton Central High in the mornings, and my mom would take me in the afternoons. Sometimes I would even eat my lunch in the car. And she was actually babysitting. She was did home daycare 
And I have a little, a, a, the guy that she babysat, I call my little brother because she babysat him from when he was six years old. And he, she would take him with and spend the afternoons in Aberdeen while I went to school. And she did that for four years. You know, by the time I graduated, he was in school because um, his mom was a teacher. But that's how dedicated they were. I mean, later on, they sometimes found someone else to bring me home. But every day for four years, she took me to school because they believed in me and they wanted the best and they didn't force me to do one way or the other. So I graduated with two diplomas. I graduated from Groton High School one week. The following week, I graduated from the School of the Blind and Visually Impaired. And I remember asking my folks, I wanted to go to the graduation party. And my mom said, remember, you have school the next day. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, mom, thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, I went to the party, but yes, I was home early. <laughs> so. That, you know, really was dedicated. And my vision was pretty good until I was 19 and I was in college. And <laughs> I went in for my yearly checkup. And I um, I uh, had a good checkup. Nothing was wrong. And um, all of a sudden, I was living in an apartment with a girlfriend. And all of a sudden, I started having trouble seeing stuff. I couldn't read Harley. I had trouble starting to get around. I didn't want to say anything to anyone. And I knew that it could happen, but it was still, do I accept it? And I didn't say anything for a long time. And I finally said something to my girlfriend. And she said, yeah, I'm noticing also. So I finally told my folks. And two weeks later, I finally told them. I went into that same eye doctor that had me from birth. And I was almost totally blind within two weeks from a normal appointment to when I saw them in two weeks. So what I was told when I was early, young, you know, it almost happened. And it ha has almost happened since then a couple of times. So that was the first of many surgeries for me. I had to withdraw from college, change my whole life. But there has been benefits, you know, going to the school, I met my husband, um, Seth, and he had a vision issue from birth. And um, he, thank you for not talking. I'm sorry. Um, so he, you know, I met him and now we have been married for 35 years. Um, he has now lost his sight totally since then. His vision wasn't great. It was never as good as mine. But, um, you know, it, it gradually got worse. And he knew that he could probably lose his sight. And at the same time, his hearing was pretty good. And since then, he has lost most of his hearing. Um, so he is totally blind. He has had to have his eyes removed because they were diseased. And, um, went through a lot and other health issues, but we've made it 35 years. And I have gone through several cornea transplants. I've had five all together, four in my right eye and one in my left. And because of my condition, 
some of the things I didn't talk about is that the corneas get rough. So they deteriorate. So when I had my first cornea transplants, I had to have my cataracts removed and they had to remove my lenses. So I have no lenses also now. So I have no lenses, no pupils, no irises. So when you look at me, you see the reflection of my optic nerve. And my optic nerve nerves were growing shut. So they had to laser those open years ago also. So I won't keep going on about that, but there's a lot more that I've been through. I've had ulcers, almost lost my sight. You know, Carrie and I were kind of sharing some stories. Um, but it's made me a stronger person. I believe that it's a journey. I'm, And I don't want to offend anyone, but I'm very strong in my faith. And I believe that my faith in God has gotten me to where I am today. And I don't think I would be the person I am today if it wasn't for my parents, the support of my husband, and for God, definitely for God, because it's made me strong. <laughs> so when I went and I had to go, to, I moved to Sioux Falls, and it was a large city. It's the largest city in South Dakota. And my life changed. I, I always loved medical, and I... I was also really good with computers. So when I was going to have my first surgeries, I started to do computer work. Um, ended up in the banking field. I hated it. Um, I was one of those consumer credit counselors that <laughs> you can. And that was back when, you know, I um, collected and, you know, the banks actually, believe it or not, makes money on the people who collect for them. <laughs> um, and I repo cars, you know, people would call me at home at all hours. And so I went back and I got my medical degree. Um, basically, I um, my folks pushed for it. And I had some training when I was in high school. And my husband said, go for it. And I'm like, you know, that was really tough because you know, he was working. I didn't have the income. So we lived on one income that wasn't huge, but he supported me. And I mean, I became the therapist that I am. So I became a, a licensed, um, certified licensed massage therapist. And after 10 years of out of being out of school, and then I went on to become a certified sports massage therapist because I, I lived, I love sports and with the get up and get moving, of course, you know, that's kind of falls into my realm. Um, then I became into lymphedema and I became the first therapist in South Dakota a massage therapist to become a certified lymphedema technician because majority of time is a physical therapist. And then in 2017, after I had been in, my husband and I had been in a car accident and the car sat on top of me, um, I had, um, had already planned to become a medical massage practitioner. So I became that, um, got certified and became a medical massage practitioner um, as I was shortly after I had gotten sat on the car. So it was quite the interesting um, journey. And I'm also, certified in aromatherapy. But I, I, you know, everyone gave me a bad time because my name is so short. I have more letters behind my name than my name is. <laughs> so, um, 
But yeah, you know, and that's what everyone says. Well, God, you have more letters in your name. And I do, because my, my Connie is spelled K-O-N-I, if no one knows. I, so I'm, it's spelled different than most Connie. So it is really short. Um, but that helped me because I, I believed in medical. And I ended up working, you know, I was self-employed. I was worked at chiropractors. Um, I worked at, I ended up going to the hospital at Sanford Health Center, um, Medical Center, and I designed their program as massage. So I worked with doctors and their patients, um, their visitors. So it was a wonderful experience. But part of that, I also became part of their diversity council. And so I was educating. And I was educating for the blind and visually impaired and the deaf and everyone else. I mean, so when I started advocating, it wasn't just for us that have vision issues. I have so many relatives that are in wheelchairs or have other health conditions um, that I advocate for all of them. So when I'm out like today for the walk, I look at things, not just for us, but for everyone. And that's, I think, what we all need to do is we wanted us, we wanted things better for us, but we wanted, we need to have it better for everyone. So I am, when I worked at the hospital, um, I ended up being published internationally in a massage magazine. And then they took it and I became, had an ebook um, published and some other articles. So I, I have been published a few times. But I also did my training in advocating in Sanford. If you've ever heard of Sanford, um, they're global. So I, when I did my training for their employees, it was globally. It was by Zoom. It was in person. Um, and I had really good results, you know, but it took myself to, to speak forward. I had people helping me. And I got involved in ACB on the local level, um, you know, back in 84. So I'm kind of jumping around in my life a little bit. Because it, it all kind of goes a little bit, you know, together. So, um, so in '84, this is again ages me. Um, I represented South Dakota at the National ACB Convention in Philadelphia, um, which is not the students, but it was NIBS back then. And the person who got me really involved, besides my parents was Del Amon, um, or like most people know him as Delbert Amon. Does anyone know who Delbert Amon is? One person. One person does. So Delbert Amon was one of our ACB founding members. And he actually wrote the original ACB constitution. And he was my folk rehab counselor. So he really encouraged myself. He was a mentor and um, encouraged others to get involved with ACB. And I, he was so 
passionate about ACB that it was contagious. It, I mean, I really have to say it was. I mean, it, he was, if you knew Dell, he, um, he was quite the character, but he was fun to be around and he had such a passion for advocacy. So I, um, I started on the local level um, and that's where you really need to start is advocating as I studied it earlier today on the local level. You know, if it's transportation, if it's pedestrian, it's, you know, whatever, you know, voting is a huge topic. You know, literacy, there's so many things that you can advocate for and it can get into your blood. And some people love it and some people don't, but it's, it's fulfilling. So I have been on um, multiple you know, transit task force in South Dakota and Sioux Falls. I have served on a state, federal, um, and local um, transportation committee. And I'm on right now, like I said earlier, the pedestrian advisory for the, the city. For my efforts, um, I received the governor's award for a citizen with a disability in 2017 for all my advocacy work. Um, and in, in 2018, um, South Dakota Association for Blind or SDAB um, awarded me with our Gus Zaki Memorial Award for the advocacy work. So when I went to the leadership in 2020 um, in DC for ACB, I was encouraged to apply for the JP Morgan Fellow Chase. Um, so I did, and I was awarded that in, back in 2020. So I've kind of had a whirlwind a few years. I wasn't active on the, on the national level for years because of my career. I um, was really busy um, locally. My hours worked. I worked long hours, worked weekends. Um, my husband's wonderful because he supported me. He really encourages me. Um, so again, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for him because he's so encouraging, um, and supportive. You know, his, the joke is, is, you know, I just carry her bags. You know, that, that's, that's what he tells everyone. He's like, yeah, I just carry her bags. <laughs> um, so I, um, back in, you know, um, so this is 22. Um, so back in 2020, no, 2021, um, for our session, legislative session, I ended up um, speaking seven times in front of our legislator. I had no idea, no plans to do it that many times. One of the things that South Dakota has is that if you're blind or visually impaired and you attend a state college, you can attend for free. Um, but the old law stated you had to do it in person. Well, of course, COVID <laughs> kind of changed all of that, you know, and there was all this virtual. So someone that um, is a member of SDAB and newer, just kind of more losing his sight now, he has ushers. He um, 
I had him replace me on a transportation committee. He's like, I don't even know anything about this. I'm like, I'll guide you. I'll help you. I, I, I turned out, you know? So he, um, he was getting his like third masters, but he needed to get, um, do virtual. So he asked me, um, to help him. And so the two of us worked with a, a legislator, um, and we got it passed. So that was one of the big ones that we passed was now um, you can attend for free, virtually also um, for the blind and visually impaired. So when I was talking about testifying, then there was some ballot issues with print size and um, they wanted to make it just a little bit smaller, but you know, petitions are pretty small print, you know? So they're like, I think they wanted to go to 11 or something. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. So me, you know, you give me a challenge and I like a challenge. <laughs> um, I um, did the federal guidelines and I had proof. And of course it was nice because um, we could testify by Zoom. So I have a friend that is um, a legislator. So I actually spoke a couple times on this, but I got it changed that they had to increase the size of print to 14. <laughs> um, so I ended up speaking, like I said, seven times. And one night on a Sunday night, um, two lobbyists, I didn't know. Um, I knew that they had testified on a couple of bills and one had kind of failed and I hadn't really followed up on it. And they reached out to me that Sunday night and said, we really need to have you testify tomorrow morning because this bill has come back around. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it was like eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, really? Because you have to sign up for it. <laughs> um, so luckily it was by Zoom and um, I ended up testifying, but I there was a homeschool thing ahead of time. So we didn't testify until later, but um, that actually gave me more ammunition because I listened to some of the things that the legislators had to say, and I threw it kind of back in their face. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of fun, but um, I got my point across there too. So going to ACB, ACB, I, you know, I really encourage everyone to get involved, you know, I started with the transportation committee um, when Dan Spoon had reached out, you know, and said, you know, anyone interested in doing committees and stuff. Um, I decided I went in transportation. I loved the transportation because that's what I was really working on locally. So I got onto the transportation. I ended up doing a presentation on rural um, that back in 20. Um, Hadn't planned on that, but, you know, I had some help with a couple of people, but um, it grows on you. So, you know, now I'm involved in a lot more, but ACB has so much to offer in so many ways that I really encourage everyone to look at if it's a special interest, if it's a committee, it's, there's just so much. Um, I just want to talk about you know, next week, someone said, how long are you staying? And I'm like, well, I'm leaving tomorrow because 
I have a board meeting next week in Schomburg. Uh-huh. So I get home oh, around 11.30 my time um, tomorrow night and I'm home for about two days, three days. And then I turn around and I leave for Schomburg. So um, it's been a lot of traveling, but it's fun. And we got some good things going on. We got, you know, some interesting things. One thing that we are working on, um, at least some of us, is that we're trying to get policies um, all in one place. You know, so I'm on the archive and history committee. And one of the things that we're doing is we're going through and um, looking at all the old minutes. And to me, it's interesting because I love history. Some people are thinking, oh, that's kind of boring. But it's history. You learn from the history. And of course, there's motions and there's you know resolutions and there's policies. So I'm going through and not just myself, but a few other ones. And we keep track of those. And now we're trying to compile and see if there's any duplicates and when they were and if they're still in existence or are they outdated. And then we're going to try to get those all into one place on the web. So they're easy for everyone to get access to. So that's one thing that we're working on. Um, as everyone knows, I think a lot of people know, um, we've had a code of conduct and um, we couldn't change the code of conduct in July because everyone was already passing it or signing it. So now we had, um, we in July, we passed a procedural document in term until which is good until October 22nd when we meet. And it's basically the procedures of um, if there's a if there's a complaint, because we really didn't have much down or really anything. So we had a committee, our ad hoc committee, and had some calls, asked for suggestions. They took the document that we um, passed in July, asked for all the members' comments, and now they will come back to us in October with what the members have stated or wanted or added or changed. But at the same time, which was nice, they were able to update the code of conduct to coincide with the procedures. So we were able to hopefully get both things done at one time. And, you know, the big thing is that these are documents that are walking documents. So they are always can be changed. So when we have a policy, we can always change stuff. We can always update things. And that's one of the good things. I'm going to have Carrie hold the mic for a second. And I want to talk about a couple other ones that we're working on. Yeah, that's all I have. Not sure, but going to read a little more. Just a second. I just want to touch on a couple things that ACB is doing. Um, so, make sure that everyone attends the holiday auction. Um, that will be November um, 27th. Will be the actual holiday auction. The 25th and 26th will be the appetizers. Um, the ADP gala is November 29th. Um, you go to the meeting, you know, we have the board meeting and that's always streamed. So everyone can listen to it. So I just want to 
flows with a couple of mind feelings or thoughts of leadership because we all can be leaders. And I'm going to go ahead and just read what I feel. And I'll let Carrie hold this while I read my, my, my thoughts and my feelings a little bit. Are you reading Braille? No, I'm, I'm using large print. The advice, the advice that I would give to anyone who wants to be a leader is to listen. Don't be fast to judge. We all have skills and abilities. Listen to delegate. Listen and to delegate duties. Share your appreciation to others. Work and help. And when you do, make sure you can be accountable for what you do, if it's good or bad, because we all need to fail to succeed. Because if we don't fail, then you really don't succeed. The other one is, I believe, believe in yourself and all that you do. You have the strength inside of you with God's guidance to overcome any obstacle. And I truly believe that with all of the obstacles that I have been through in my life, that anyone can overcome an obstacle. It's a matter of believing in yourself. So I just wanted to close with that. So I hope that all of you guys can believe in yourselves and be you and shine. So thank you. Thank you, Connie, and um, a lot of good information and advocacy and, you know, using the, the bumps in our road to make us stronger. <laughs> Thank you so much. James, you're welcome to come up and sit between Michael and I. There is a chair. So we're going to go ahead and move forward um, in a few things. So first of all, I am very pleased to, to present to little Miss Abigail Trosper. A Girl Scout badge for disability awareness that she earned in her crew. Abby, what is your what is your favorite thing about being a Girl Scout? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, and thank you for all of your help this weekend. So it has been a, a great pleasure having her here. Um, so the, the next part we're gonna do here is a little award presentation. And I know um, last night, for those that were at our board meeting, Cassie mentioned, you know, we have had our organization for many years, a membership growth award that was missing. And I heard somebody said they had it. John Hamill, John Hamill has it. So, um, we are not presenting this award tonight. Um, we really, really miss Joan Hill because of all of her very accurate um, record keeping. So next year when it is presented, it will be named the Joan Hill Membership Award. So um, next I'm gonna let Cassie, Tell us a little bit about this new next award, and then we'll let the name of it and let James go into some history. Hi, 
All righty. Everybody hear me okay? All right. So I am excited about this award. I was really excited to be on the committee to um, bring some of these awards back. I know being back in person, we got to do some fun stuff, right? So this award was originally the ACB of Oregon Service Award. Um, so when you think about, you know, someone who serves in our organization, you think of someone that's a hard worker, that's loyal, that's dependable, um, and sometimes that does a lot more than, you know, what we uh, set out to do. We kind of, it kind of snowballs when you start going, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. So, so I know this from experience. <laughs> so, so this award, um, I'm actually going to wait on the name of it. Um, this award was named after two of our now ACB angels. Um, I'm going to let James give the history and he will tell you who these two people are. And then I will come back in a minute and tell the name of it and we will read it. And that person will find out who they are that won it. All right. So I'm on. So the microphone close. Can you here you go, James. Can you hear me? Here you go. Here's okay. I think Michael's got one here for me. So. Yeah, one Michael. Yep. Okay. Yes, I'll okay. my back then. <laughs> so volunteering defined as the principle of freely donating your time and energy to a greater cause to enrich the lives of a few or a whole society. Now that's what volunteering sounds like, but to see what volunteering looks like, all you need to do is look at a photo of Bob and Bev Rushing. They started volunteering when they, when they joined this organization as young adults in the mid-1950s. They both were dedicated members, volunteering their time, energy, and sometimes finances to ACBO. Bob and Bev were motivated to, to volunteering by their values like justice, equality, and quality of life for all focusing on the blind and disabled people. <clears throat> it's not often you find people who get involved in something and never lose interest, but that's exactly what Bob and Bev did. They were dedicated to enriching the lives of others, of individual, blind individuals, staying active in ACBO right up to the very end. In 1961, Bob and Bev were actually at at the National Convention, when a group of leaders broke off the National Federation of the Blind and formed the National American Council of the Blind. In addition to coordinating state conventions for HBO, in 1973, Bob and Bev were instrumental in helping ACB hold the National Convention in Portland, Oregon, the only time it's been held in Oregon. Bob was elected state treasurer in 1990, I believe, and served in that position for 18 years, helping establish a source of uh, funding that will sustain us for years to come, until he finally turned it over a few years ago to his daughter, too, who is now our treasurer. Beverly served on, on, her, on her chapter board as president and other positions and served on the state board in various positions, including four, oops, let's uh, Let me see here. Forgive me. I, it's in technology. Yeah. <laughs> 
including four years as elected president and one partial term to finish a term of the president who resigned. Bottom Babrashian, at a young age, fell in love with each other and with volunteering for an organization they both loved. For that, we were blessed. Tonight, although they are no longer with us, we want to show our love and our appreciation for them by presenting this plaque to their daughter and her family, Sue. So, so Sue Schwab, I have you a plaque with the Bev and Bob Distinguished Service Award. Thank you so much. So, so you or two of your fingers. <laughs> Love you, Sue. Yeah, too many tears. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, you know, just a little bit more. I had the privilege and the pleasure of serving with Bob and Bev ever since I joined this organization. And they were great people. They, like you said, they dedicated their life, their whole lives to this organization, never lost interest. And 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 they, they did a whole lot for us. We really need to be thankful for it. And I really miss those people. Thank you. So thank you. So do I have somebody cited that can come read the award? I, I oh, Connie said it. she can do it. It, it also it. has some braille. It's braille on it. My mom could have read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are fun thing with the braille is. There's more in print than in Braille on yours. <laughs> Challenges, but here we will let Connie okay. read it. I'll let you hold it. So Bev and Bob Rushing Distinguished Service Award presented to Susan Schwab in recognition of her dedication, hard work to her loyalty and many years of service to the American Council of the Blind of Oregon, October 15, 2022. Yay. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Do you want to say anything? Oh, I don't know if I can. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my mom and dad would be so pleased. And I hope this will continue for many years. So there'll be another generation that will receive this kind of thing. Wonderful, thank you, thank you so much. So, I'm gonna turn the mic over to Cassie. I, I guess we got him backwards. You get to do the next one, Cassie. Oh, oh, goodness, do I remember the name of it? No, <laughs> all righty. So, this next award is one that Carrie and I kind of brainstormed. Um, it is going to be the ACB of Oregon. Oh, maybe I really community outreach community outreach community recognition award. Um, so this is a brand new award. I think we were kind of dipping it as the the president's award. Yeah. Kind of. So so this award is going to go to maybe an individual. Maybe it could go to a chapter. So who knows who's doing good stuff in their communities? Um, so this year. The ACB of Oregon Community Recognition Award is going to go to our first vice president, Leonard Kokel, in recognition of the work he's done on the Tidegate project in 
Coos Bay, Oregon. Are you coming up here, Is that I need to run off my kids. He's coming. So I will tell you guys, um, this started 12 years ago. There, there is a, a tight gate where a lot of people would go salmon fishing, which is a big thing on the coast. And um, our Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife decided this one was only for people with disabilities and youth to fish at. Well, Leonard was out there and found out it was not very accessible to use it. And so he took on this project and had our local chapter um, raise some funds and get some stuff. And, and we went out there and put in a stairway, which yes, I know that's not accessible for people with wheelchairs, but you know, we have limited space for stuff and uh, a walkway across the top of it. So it was a lot more accessible. And um, it's been kind of monitored over the last several years. Well, this, this last um, couple months ago, Leonard got tons of donations in our community and went and spearheaded going out there again to re, uh, revamp it again to make sure it's still accessible. So Leonard, where are you? Yeah. Right here. Okay. <laughs> Here's a mic. I want, I want you to go ahead and uh, then I'm going to let you read it because yours is in Braille. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, read Braille. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hold that for you later. Yeah, you're gonna hold yeah. the mic. Here, here's the plaque, Leonard. Oh wow! And, and so these plaques. Oh, go ahead and read it, Leonard. Recognition award. Presented. Presented to Leonard Gogol in recognition of his dedication. We need to have another Braille reader. And Abby, Abby can read the print. The print isn't as much. Oh. You're doing awesome, Leonard. Messages now. Check in. How are you doing? Do you want to have Michael read it? Okay, only one time. Yeah. <laughs> safe place for dis disabled. October 15, 2022. Okay. Would you like to say anything more, Leonard? my retirement yeah no I, I love this organization yeah. see 
I joined in 1989. I got one boy that's actually been in here 30 years too. So, uh, anything I can do for this organization? I'm here to serve. Thank you. I got to tell you guys, it was a great pleasure hiding these awards from these two yeah. people. <laughs> and you're good at it. <laughs> and the awards, I would have had Leonard arrange an errand. There was a lot of strategic planning and yeah, strategic planning. You had good you had good um experience with ACB. <laughs> All right. So so I want to remind everybody that um, our membership meeting starts tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here. And um, it is a condition for those that did ask for the assistance and got their room um, paid for that you be at our membership meeting. Be sure to wear your name tags because those say whether or not you are able to vote. And, pins will get and there will be membership pins that will be going out tomorrow. So that's really exciting. 